Welcome to the Connection Project Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Olson. In my search for personal truth and a deep desire to allow more joy into my life experience, I discovered the power of connection. Join me as I interview incredible guests and learn of their amazing journeys to personal well-being. Hi, and welcome to the Connection Project podcast. Today, I am so happy to welcome my good friend, Karen Lee White. She's a singer, songwriter, author, and playwright of Northern Salish, Tuscarora, Chippewa, and Scots heritage. Her extensive travels have taken her all over the world, including a three-year stay among the Shona people of Zimbabwe. She's published in countless literary journals, her most recent work being uh, a novel called The Silence, published by Exile Editions, released in 2018. Karen lives in Victoria, BC, and joins us today to discuss well-being through the beautiful lens of her soul. So I just want to welcome you here today, Karen. Thanks for being here. Thank you for uh, inviting me, Emily. It is a huge honor. My goodness. (laughs) I'm so excited for the listeners. So um, just want to give a tiny bit of background of our connection, because I'm all about connections. Um, I was blessed to meet you and your sister, and you became part of the family of the Connection Project Mental Health Storytelling event in 2018. Um, You came in what seemed like a singer, a performer. You came to the event, you did your song, Fire Within, which I listened to earlier today, and I still get goosebumps. My tears still well up. In the corners of my eyes, uh, it's, there's something so beautiful about your voice and just that union between your sister and you singing it together. It's just incredible. But what I didn't expect was this feeling of, in your presence, like when you came, you came and participated in that event as that role on one level, but on a deeper level, you cared for each and every one of us in a way that was completely unexpected. It was like you showed up as a mother, you showed up as a healer, you showed up and you held space for all of us um, in a way that I had no idea even I needed. It It was a difficult first event in the sense that everything was so new. And it was like, you, you just kind of came in like a very young grandmother <laughs> and you took care of us all. You know what I mean? Like you had throat lozenges, you had tissues, you had, you know, your smudge bowl at the ready and prayer and song. And it was as if your role was much greater than it even could have been imagined. And I will never forget that. And the friendship that blossomed just in meeting you in those spaces was far more than I bargained for. And I'm just so grateful. And I'm really glad we're reconnecting again. Um, Since um, this time of COVID, I have, you know, had the privilege of being um, on a Zoom call where you did an author reading and talked about your book. Um, And I know you've journeyed to so many different places, both in your heart and across the globe. And, 
you and I share a lot of deep connections. So I'm just really happy to host this space for um, people to meet you, uh, you know, in this time that we're going to have in the next little bit to just get to know um, a little bit about your story and then they can follow up, you know, with your website and your work and check out the other offerings that are already out there that you've shared with the world. And I'm just so grateful for that. So I'm just going to start by asking you, you know, for you, what is, what is well-being to you? That I'm a typical indigenous person. I'm going to, you know, reflect before I answer. You'll find I, for me, wellness is very holistic. That sounds kind of typical. But when I say holistic, I think about physical wellness, spiritual wellness, emotional wellness, financial wellness, social wellness, physical wellness. Like to me, there's a huge number of wellnesses that are important to me. So for my wellness, I have to have everyone in my circle, which is huge, by the way. They have to be well for me to feel well, because to me, it's very clear that we're connected by this huge web of energy. And that on that web, just like a spider web, how it vibrates when something lands. It's, it's very much like that in the energy web where we are, if we're quiet enough, we are aware of when somebody isn't well. And this has proven to me time and time and time again, where I'll just know in my bones that my friend Darren's not doing well. And if he's not responding, I would reach out to two or three people and say, hey, have you heard from Darren? I'm a bit concerned. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, me too. And then it turns out Darren's in the hospital and didn't want to bother anybody. So we have this huge web of energy, which isn't strange because we are energy in this universe. We are energy and part of a, a huge universe. We know we're made of the material that the stars are made out of. So we are truly in every way, scientifically, uh, spiritually, in every way you can think of, connected to everything that it is. So for us to think that wellness is just mind, body, spirit, and heart is a bit naive, I think. In my 64 and a half years, the half is important. <laughs> Um, you know, I've learned that that wellness is really a huge spectrum and it includes that living, vibrating web of energy that connects me to everyone that I love across the world. Wow. And it's a constant journey. It's not, you don't, for me, I've never hit a certain, I've hit quantum levels in my life of healing, but it doesn't ever stop. I'm very aware at the age of 64 that I'm peeling off if it's sort of like an onion, you're peeling off more and more layers as you go. And sometimes the layers, you know, on an onion is almost transparent. Like it's barely there. Other times you have to peel off a great big chunk to get at the good part. So it kind of depends, but it's it definitely an ongoing. It is not something that is, you know, you hit a certain age and or you go through a certain experience, come out the other side and bingo, you're magically kind of cured for life it's it's such a journey and it's such a beautiful journey and i'm sure that right up to the moment that we transition because i don't believe in death it's it's a transition of energy into another form that that is another level of healing that is really profound because we're going to get born into a next world yeah 
And then we're going to heal in another way up there. I just know that. It's interesting what you said about the thickness of the layers, because it's like when you're on the other side of it, there's this, and sometimes it takes a few years and then looking back and having a new perspective, it's like, wow, that layer was super thick and chunky and hard yeah. and dark and brutal and painful. And other oh, layers are like this. <laughs> other layers can be like this thin, maybe more easeful thing, but also big, you know? Absolutely. And it's big. just, yeah, there's, there's this sense of connection to, to, to self when you look back at it and go, Oh yeah, that one was, that one was a big leap. That was, you know, what you said, quantum uh, experiences. And it's funny. Um, maybe that awareness was what was what I was feeling that you had in, in that experience with the connection project with, with your caring of all of us. Um, just for the listeners before we hit record, um, Karen and I had been uh, talking about her mother who she said just being in a room with her was healing. You know, she could, she could get right down to that cellular level. And I believe that you took on quite a bit of that because I've been in a room with you before and it's, it's very special. And I think if we're all in alignment with who we are, that that's the experience we have with a lot of people, right? Absolutely. And that's who we are for others as well. As long as we're authentic, we're vibrating. Uh, the way I explain it is sort of vibrating at a frequency that echoes to other people. Like we can actually impact a perfect stranger by just walking by them. And I've always thought of, you know, the, the key thing that people don't understand in the, in the non-tribal world or in the West, I don't know, in the Western kind of society is, that when you go through really hard times, it's actually a beautiful gift and it doesn't feel like it. I'm not saying it ain't that, uh, you know, it's fun and games because it isn't. It's, it's sheer hell sometimes. And I've always sort of envisioned it as a ring of fire. And I, I'd look at it and go, okay, the ring of fire again. All righty. So I've got to go through it and I have to find the gift in there somewhere and I have to book it out the other side. And yeah, I'm going to, it's going to burn. It's not going to be fun. And I might get out the other side with some scars, but, what's important is the gift. And so instead of in my younger days, when I would have gone into the fire and run around in circles screaming, Oh my God, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. I would get in there, look for the gift and I'm focusing on the gift instead of the burning and the not fun part. And I grab the gift, book it out the other side and then open, unwrap the gift. And I would focus on, you know, not the burns or the scars, but focus on that beautiful gift that I got that was now, something in my bad word arsenal maybe in my toolbox or maybe in my box of treasures as people on the coast speak of it you know another item in my box of treasures in order to either help other people or to reach a higher level mm. in my own development so i've always envisioned you'll find that in the silence i said i'm pretty sure i mentioned the ring of fire in there yeah the main fires come up a few times actually and uh, I just absolutely love uh, there's so many gifts in that book, especially the little stories of animals and birth and yeah, I don't yeah. want to give anything away, but I'm, I, I'm rereading it again because uh, I feel like I have a better understanding going into it of what is in this book 
for me, particularly at this time in my life. I love books that way, you know, you can revisit and they're just so incredibly helpful. So, you know, saying that you've developed these new ways of like going in, grabbing the gift and getting out a lot faster, you're able to process that because you've got that, that awareness within you. What did it look like before? Like what was the struggle before in your younger years? I was born into a kind of nightmare situation where it was kind of this, I'm not Christian. I mean, I believe in all the prophets. I believe there's validity, Uh, but I wouldn't identify as Christian necessarily, but I had a lot of Christian influence (laughs) growing up in Southern Ontario and in Halifax at the time we were, there was segregation between Catholics and Protestants and there was a lot of uh, religion in schools, whether you liked it or not. So I had a heavy influence. Um, and I have a great deal of respect for Christians, true Christians who understand the true doctrine. And I really believe, because I had a dream about this, that Jesus was one hell of a medicine man. Um, and I saw this in a dream. Um, he came in on a plane. He was in a layer jet, a, a per, per private jet. And he came in and long story short, he started, stopped and started healing somebody. And I went, oh, okay, Jesus was a medicine man. Okay, I get this. <laughs> one heck of a medicine man, too. Um, but, um, I sort of got off track there. So you need to pull me back to the question. It's it's all right. The struggle, like where it was before you had that awareness. So what I was going to explain is why I was going to use this terminology of, it was kind of like living with an angel and, and, and a demon. And because my father was an extremely damaged person with extreme issues. And my mother had infinite patience and she was an unconditionally loving person who could communicate with anybody. I mean, no matter how clumsy somebody's communication, even if they came in with a gun, she could communicate with them. She would look at the wounded child behind the guy with the gun and be communicating. I saw her do this, not with a guy with a gun, but I saw her do this a thousand times with with, with relating to the wounded child. And I would see people melt, you know, in front of her. And my father was very dangerous in every way. And so I suffered, well, I guess I'll just use the word abuse because I can't think of anything prettier. Um, any form of abuse you can come up with, I, I went through, including being beaten for praying, which kind of sucked because that was an outlet for me, even as a little kid. So I learned how to sing because to me, singing was prayer. And I wouldn't get beaten up for that. So this is where music saved my bacon when I was a, a little kid. Um, and, and it became a, my first healing modality was, was singing. So I learned to be fearless because I lived with constant fear and constant danger in every way. Like there was no rationale for what was going on. There was no um, possible way that you could behave to avoid what was going on. Because I tried so hard to stay under the wire um, to not attract any kind of whatever. But I have an old friend who told me, oh, I remember you coming in the room singing and he just laughed out and you know, laid a beating on you. So there was no rational kind of behavior where, where it concerned my father. Like maybe one day you could say something jokingly to him and he'd laugh. And the next day you'd take a pounding. So there was no, you just never knew. So it was growing up in this kind of like Beirut. Um, When I was in my teens, I don't know how I physically survived it. 
let alone mentally or spiritually, because it got more and more severe as my siblings left. So when I was, um, I guess, from six, 15 to 18, it became very, very, very bad. Um, and I just got through it. I don't know how to explain it other than my mother has that ability to, when you're in her, when I was in her presence, within two minutes, it would just realign all your molecules. You would, everything would be right. And I knew when it got bad with my father that if mom wasn't around, I would go to the water and I'd walk for hours along the beach. We, we lived on the waterfront in North Saanich. And I was blessed to be able to get down and I just knew to go to the water. That was just something I knew. Um, and I would just walk along the water until I felt right again. So I just learned how to get through that. Later in life, I wrote him a letter when I was in my 20s. And I said, I need you to know I forgive you for everything that ever went between us. And I truly adore my father. And I truly respect him as my father. He brought me into this world. There were I talked to mom about it at some late stage of her life. And I looked at her and said, Are you, do you feel guilty for exposing us to dad? And she began to cry. And I said, mom, don't, because half of who I am is dad. I have his humor. He, he had brilliant, he had a brilliant sense of humor. He was a brilliant man. He was creative in every way. He was a brilliant musician. The guy could pick up any instrument and play it by ear. He would study Russian as a hobby. Um, he, he was such a fascinating man. He took on any, anything and he was good at it. Like he decided to go skiing. He was brilliant. If he decided to take on painting, he was brilliant. Everything my dad did, he was talented at, but he was very tortured for whatever reason. And I kind of wish I knew his story, but it's not important to know the story. What's important is that not only did I forgive everything that happened, I have a huge amount of love for my dad, who's in the next world. Um, and we used to be able to have some pretty amazing conversations because we'd been in life and death struggles, literally, literally life and death. I could have died at any moment at his hands because he was trained to kill uh, with his bare hands by the Canadian military. Um, he was the Navy man. Um, career Navy. And, you know, later I just realized that there were so many gifts I got from him and that all of what he put me through made me into a very empathetic, compassionate, loving person. So I had this beautiful, unconditional love for my mother and then this kind of fearlessness because of dealing with my dad. So I have never been uh, I've never shied away from communicating with anyone I don't care who they are um, I worked with guys in the penitentiary and I was their brother I did not or sorry their sister they were my brothers and I was not afraid and one of the wives came to me and said you know one of the reasons the guys love you so much and I said I have no idea and she said because you're not afraid and I said well never really occurred to me to be afraid of <laughs> maybe they should be afraid of me and I remember one guy came up and said <laughs> William Head, he said, I hope you're not intimidated by us. And I looked at him and said, well, I hope you're not intimidated by me. And that was kind of kind of how I handled it. But it was really such a blessing to go through all that hell because if you transmute that suffering into your medicine, that's the way that we talk about it in indigenous terms. I guess for mainstream people, you would say, get your, you know, your, uh, your, your, 
authentic power, I guess. If you find your authentic power in the end through that, the key is you transmute it. The key is you don't stay a victim. The key is you don't just survive. The key is that you go beyond survival to thriving, overcoming, and mentoring and showing others that they can do it. They do not have to. You like you will fight addiction. Sure, I had, you know, I had issues with alcohol, like everyone in my family. I started drinking at thirteen, quit it at nineteen because I went, oh yeah, I, I can see this. This is not going to rule my life. I am done with this. Cold turkey stopped. Stopped smoking. Um, and then it rears its head elsewhere because if you don't, if you're not dealing with the actual issues underlying, it, you know, you start abusing food. You start abusing money so i've you know had to and i was very aware so i went through my life you know <laughs> struggling with those things and just basically dealing with each kind of thing as it popped up and just doing my best and loving other people and mentoring other people and giving and helping and that this is this is a key thing that in the western world or in the non-tribal world you know we've gotten that village construct and the thing is, when I started getting kind of, I'll give you an example, during COVID, when I was feeling everybody around me, like I was feeling, I'm very empathic. So I was waking up in the middle of the night worried about money and I'm going, no, I don't have any worries. I'm not going to get laid off. So I started praying for whoever it was that was worried. And there was somebody that was suicidal and I prayed for whoever that was. And I was realizing, okay, I need to reach out and help others because that's what I need to do to get over whatever that I'm feeling. So I did. I got on Facebook and said, if anyone's struggling, get a hold of me. I'll, you know, I'll talk to you. Well, I'll walk you through this. And as soon as I reached out for other people, I felt okay again. And this is the thing we've forgotten in the West. We always say, oh, you have to practice self-care and you can't do so much for other people. And oh, watch out. Like I'm always being told this, be careful. And it's like, you don't get it. When you're there for other people, genuinely from your authentic in the moment self, you there is no having to be careful. You are actually, there's a beautiful energy flow going on that is kind of going both ways. If you're always looking after yourself, there's a one-sided energy flow. If you're doing too much, you're, if you're ignoring yourself and you're looking after everyone else in the world, that is also a wrong energy flow. I mean, it's not wrong. You haven't yet figured out that symbiotic thing yeah. where it's yeah. got a flow and it, and it keeps on flowing around. And that is something beautiful that I discovered is that, and I do um, a lot of self-care. I, I do sometimes not answer my phone for half a day and just, you know, take care of me. I know how to do that as I go. But the whole reaching out and helping others and being there for others is so integral for our health. I wholeheartedly you- agree. Yeah, it, it's, and it go, it goes the same for all those things you talked about er, earlier money health physical well-being all of it like contributing i think through covid a lot of the stuff's being remembered this this community yeah. piece the connection and people are it finding is. the niches that they are able to help in yeah. and i think fear holds people back from helping but eventually I do believe we get there. And and once we've been through the struggle and we're not like what you'd said, being in the just survival mode, when yeah. we get into the thriving piece, that's when we're able, you know, to, to find places where we can 
uh, assist others. And for me, it's funny. It's like a driving force for me. I love, I love seeing people be inspired or, or have realizations or, or come into an awareness of going, Oh, I am able to make an impact. And it's just not being in judgment about what that looks like or how big it is or what it is. Or, you know, if that authentic self, like transmuting your specific journey, your unique um, sort of divine gifts that are so apparent if you allow them to be seen by you. Yeah. There's so much to offer others and that balance, that flow. It's like, it's, it is, it's a constant flow. If you're, if you're fearful, like let's use money, for example, if you're fearful of spending money, cause you're like, Oh, there, that's all there is. Like I'm running out or you're counting your pennies. It can't come in if it's not going out. Like it there's, I say to my kids all the time, more money's coming. It's always coming. Yes. Like, so without being totally irresponsible, like, yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny, you know, you inherit the words of your parents or your grandparents, like we can't afford that right now or any of that. So it's just even the language we use with, with how we speak with others and contribute to, you know, connection and community and things like that. I love that, that you've um, said that, that you've reached out and literally put yourself out there to say, yeah, Hey, I'm here to help. I don't have to concern myself with, you know, am I going to burden, you know, burden myself? If everybody was fearful of, you know, taking on too much, no one would ever help anybody else. And that's when the flow happens and you find your balance. Oh, you totally, absolutely do. And when you know you're off, you just take care of yourself for a bit. And it doesn't mean you have to shut people out. You just have to say, I can call you tomorrow or I can call you in a couple of hours. Yeah. And you're so good at that. I actually learned that a little bit from you. That surprises me because I sometimes think I don't, (laughs) I was raised with no boundaries. Like there wasn't, I didn't know I could say no. (laughs) No wasn't a word in in anybody's vocabulary in my house because nobody respected no. Yeah. Um, Well, we didn't know to respect no. And of course, yeah. But there's so much, there's so much that you learn. And I love being 64 and a half because I continue to learn. I continue every single solitary day to learn and be humbled in a beautiful way. That's another thing we've forgotten all about humbleness. This is what I love about tribal societies. They know about humbleness. It's the most respected, um, I guess, virtue, if you want to use that word, uh, that a person has is humbleness. And I love humbleness. It's such a beautiful, and integrity, these are such valuable, and dignity is such, when I see a young woman that, that shows dignity, I will always stop and say, I love that you have dignity. It's so beautiful. And I will always acknowledge those things in other people. My mom was big on that. She would acknowledge a lot of older women for being looking really great. And it was so fun to watch them light up. And my mother was such an encourager. And I I do the same. I always want to see people light up and make them laugh and make them feel some joy or make them feel, I will always stop a stranger. And, you know, I mean, it's dangerous with guys because they take you the wrong way. If you're younger, like <laughs> I remember telling a guy, oh my God, your cologne is amazing. And then he looked at me like, oh, should I be hitting on her? And I could see what was going on. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Got to watch it with the guys. But, um, cause they're not used to women being authentic in the middle of a city when they don't know you apparently. But that's another thing about tribal society is we're, we're authentic. We don't know how to be fake. <laughs> you know, 
And but not to say there's tons of people in the mainstream. I mean, authentic, authenticity is is becoming more and more and more common. And the you know, I see so many gifts in COVID of people re- understanding that they have to be in the moment, understanding that that what was before was disastrous for everybody. That's right. You know, and that we need to slow down. That we need to be in our homes. That we need to um, reprioritize. That the whole of society needs to reprioritize. And as you brought up earlier, which is such a valuable, this is priceless. The whole looking after one another thing, showing appreciation to the healthcare workers, gave me joy every day at seven o'clock. Mm. And I'm near a hospital, so I could hear sirens, and it was fantastic. I, I heard Indian drums sometimes. I heard. You know all kinds of different ways that people would, you know, show appreciation and just all the little parades that went by where I live for the kids uh, by the teachers in the school here. You know all those little things and people, you know, reaching out and doing those ninja drops. You know those ninja packages that were yeah. for a little while there and just finding ways to. You know they had those uh, Facebook sites or social media sites where you could go on there and say, "I'm stuck at home. I have a baby." I don't have formula. Can somebody get me formula? And some perfect stranger would just drop it off. No expectation. I just thought it was so amazing. And I was so excited because we were going back to the village. We were going back to that village that the mainstream folks have been away from for hundreds of years in some cases. Um, And some indigenous people for quite a few generations have been out of the village and in the urban center. But, you know, we went, we went right back there. Like we hadn't left it. Hmm. And I mean, you and I are blessed to live in a smaller populated, you know, less populated area. Um, So the smaller community, you know, we, it's such a blessing to see people and know people, you know, living in Brentwood Bay, Sarlet First Nation, like there's lots of little mini communities within and just loving to, you know, there's, there's one little area, there's a coffee shop, a butcher, a post office, um, pet place, like, oh, the bookstore. So, the yeah, bookstore. the, the bookstore closed. The yeah. There's a liquor store, there, bank, uh, hair salon, whatever, but it's like, you can, um, run into like five or six people, you know, and not as many hugs these days, right? Like trying to go out less and, and just, just be careful of space with, with COVID and stuff like that. But it's like that, that community and actually knowing people where you go and knowing their oh, names yeah. and priceless. It's the, it's the best. Um, it reminds me of the Yukon where the only place in some of those tiny uh, little villages was the only place to socialize was the, the, the store. Cause in one place they were, they didn't have a cafe for quite a bit of the year or sometimes a year at a time. And so we'd all hang out in the store. That was where you visited people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you went to the bar, but I wasn't, it was a little too wild for me. So, <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you when you're talking about, you know, joy and humor and dignity and all of those things. So, one of the things that came up, I guess, during COVID for a lot of people and the conversations been had um, in some of my inner circles. What is your understanding or, or your experience with this idea of doing and being? I'm curious about that. Well, in, okay, so I almost died. I don't know how many times I've oops, forgotten how to count those 
incidents. Um, it wasn't at my own hands or anything, but <laughs> just uh, circumstance. I remember I had a surgery in, was my only surgery in about 98. And it was a really tricky one. And it, I had a ton of complications. So first of all, my heart was apparently playing reggae on the, that's my sister's description. My heart went crazy on the operating table. I had a post-op infection. I wasn't breathing properly <laughs> once I was done. So I had a nurse yelling at me all night. She was right in my face going, breathe, breathe, and yelling. And I was, I finally woke up and said, why are you, why are you yelling at me to breathe? And she said, because she was almost in tears. I can't see your chest move. And I just said, oh, don't worry about it. Apparently I'm alive. And just so you know, when I don't feel good, I breathe in a very shallow kind of a way. It's just normal. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. But anyway, I didn't realize... I had, I had this really horrific post-op infection. Um, and they had were trying every kind of antibiotic known to man and nothing was making it go away. They were just taking blood about every two hours and I was getting kind of sick of it. But they weren't telling me why. And I was um, still trying to recover, but I was also having all these massive spiritual experiences <laughs> where you know my late friends were coming to visit me and telling me things. And I had healers from the next world that were healing me and I remember this very very clearly this incident of them healing and they were working on my heart for the longest time they were spirits and they were also working on where my uh, my abdominal incision was but I was a little confused about the heart I was like what about my heart and they were talking to me as they were working and and uh, it was the next day I think the surgeon came around and was very concerned and said you need to get your heart checked your heart was like going crazy when you were on the operating table you scared the crap out of me and I said okay um, we never did figure out what was happening there, but um, but I realized why those little healers were little because they were young um, children actually healing me. Um, but I was also having visits from people in the next world, and that and, and I knew it was them just by virtue of how they were. <laughs> My friend was really belligerent and rude, and that's exactly he was funny. He was very very funny, and he was a very he was just blunt and rude and hilarious. And the way he, <laughs> when he came in, he said something. Like, he said something to me, and I said, "Oh, Shafiq, your voice sounds different." And he goes, "Well, of course it sounds different, you idiot. I'm different." Mm -hmm. <laughs> and when I recalled this later, I laughed so hard because I thought, "Oh, that really was him." You know. So I was having all these amazing spiritual experiences, which I shared with a few people, and they flashed all over the island. And people were all like treating me like it was some kind of I don't know. I don't know, guru or something. It was really quite entertaining. But the bo bottom line was the message. One of the major things that I learned was what you spoke about, and that is being rather than doing. And that was a powerful, powerful thing that I got right into my cells was that I needed to be instead of do. So I took one year to recover. And in that time, I just was focusing on being rather than doing. And it was a very, very powerful, powerful, powerful time and a powerful lesson that I never forgot. I've lapsed a few times, but because I'm also a workaholic, that's a family thing. Um, not so much now. Um, you have to pretty much poke me to get me to do stuff. <laughs> I don't feel like it. I just kind of will not do it till I feel like it. And then I do it. <laughs> um, but. But I remember going to Sundance and having um, something happen where I was removed from the arbor 
um, due to a medical thing. And I was destroyed because I wanted to, you know, finish my commitment of the four days. And I was crying and crying and I just prayed. And I said, why, why, why did you cause me to be taken off? And they said, because you forgot to be, and you forgot to take care of yourself. And we want you just, you did way too much before this ceremony. You were working so hard to set this up for everybody that you are not in any shape to continue. We want you to rest. And it was like a little grandma voice. And I was just like, okay. And then I just relaxed and I started sleeping. And I think I slept the entire day. And then I just rested and rested and rested. And they reminded me, which is one of the first teachings I got the very first year. You, are a, you, you work too hard and you do it too much and you're not in balance and you're here to learn that. Wow. So over the years, you know, it would, you know, it would revisit. And it took me a long, long, long time. But that whole thing about being rather than doing is so powerful. And it is so, you know, you it hits you like those layers of an onion. It, you know, those teachings are, take a long time to seep into your marrow. It, it, you get the concept of it in 99, you know, it was like 98 or 99. And it wasn't until 2006 that I got this very clear message, you are a workaholic. And then a couple of years later, where they said, so you did it again. Like I was doing two shifts in the cook shack without even eating and I've got low blood sugar, that kind of stuff. Hmm. And I didn't need to do that. So as an artist, you know, because you're a musician, um, a writer, there's so many things you, you dip your you sink your teeth into, you dip your hands into, whatever the expressions are. Creating from a place of being, do you find it makes that creation more easeful and more, not successful, that's not the right word, but that the creation comes easier? Absolutely. If you, you know, I started painting. The first thing I did during COVID, I had bought, I'd, made, I'd done about three paintings, just started dabbling. At McTavish Academy or whatever oh, that is. Yes. Because I yes. used to go to school there. I was in grade school there. So I wanted I thought it would be cool to go back and do an acrylic course. So I went there and did a few things. Um and then I rashly bought this enormous canvas at Michael's. Not Michael's, sorry, at Winners, because it was an amazing deal. Huge, like five by three and a half or something insane. So of course, what do I do? I go, I'm gonna paint this thing. And I started painting. And the last thing I bought, you know, went just before the shutdown, I ran to Michael's and bought an enormous amount of paint. <laughs> and so there I was painting all day, every day, just like a mad person. Um, and every time I walked by, I'd add to. And I created this thing and I was just rolling with it. And I just allowed it. Like, I remember seeing this movie a long time ago. It was a... Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name. The National Film Board of Canada. What a beautiful film about the Arctic and artists in the Arctic, how they find the art within the soapstone is that they allow it to be what it is. Mm. They don't create something. They find what the spirit is in the stone. That's how they explained it. So I did the same with this painting and it became something really, like, what kind of blew my mind. I did, wasn't looking for it to be good or bad or anything like that. It wasn't about that. It was just immersed in the action. It transformed itself. I don't know how many times I would send 
send uh because my artist friend wanted to see it and she would just say oh oh yeah um i would i would turn it and hang it this way because this is what i see is the right way up and she was absolutely right and she would just say just just do a little something on the bottom and she would give me a little bit of tips and that was it and i just experimented i just immersed myself in it and it's kind of what i do with silversmithing i do uh design jewelry and create it but it never is exactly what I envision. It becomes what it's going to be. And I just allow that to happen. I I get, you know, I used to get frustrated and then I'd say, well, it's becoming what it is. Just relax. It wants to be (laughs) there. I can always try 17 times to get it the way that I envisioned it. And it'll be 17 different things. Um, And so I've learned to just allow whatever I'm working on to be what it is, whether it's a story, whether it's a song, whether it's a piece of jewelry, whether it's a painting whether it's a photograph, whether it's whatever, because I do so many different other things. But the painting thing was so much fun because I just, I, I pray to be fearless in everything I do. And I think you have to be fearless with art because if you get in your head about it has to be good or you're scared that somebody's going to think it sucks, all art is relative. People are going to resonate with it or not, and it doesn't matter. The point is you do it. Yeah. And you do it for yourself. Like a lot of the books I've written, I did them for me. I had no idea if they were good or not. I did. I wrote them to entertain myself. And apparently some of them are good enough entertainment for others. So that's the fun of it is just I would sit down every morning and just write for myself. And these stories would tell themselves to me. And there were times when I would um, be writing a scene and all of a sudden it would be like, Dear Lord it's the dead guy from the other book. What the heck? Hmm. And I push my chair back and I'd be blown away. And it's just the most fun. And I, it's not unusual. I've heard of tons of different writers who write because they want the, they just do it for an, it's like watching a movie. You don't know what's going to happen until you start writing it. And the thing writes itself and you just like, it's the most amazing experience. <laughs> it's the most fun ever. Like I'm completely addicted to writing in a good way. Yeah. And addicted to painting and addicted to all these forms of art. Because if you, as you say, just allow, if you're being in the moment, you're absolutely in the moment, just allowing this energy to flow through you. Yeah. It becomes what it's supposed to be. Despite your ego, despite your, despite your ego, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, I need my artist sister to think this is beautiful or anyone else to think it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's and sometimes what I, you know I'll do something and think that it's really hideous and I'll make a joke about it and put it like I I go to this watercolor class and it was supposed to be this very it was a Japanese uh, watercolor class and the guy was he's just really Zen and he does everything is so Zen and Buddhist looking in the sense of it's reverent and my it was supposed to be a raven landing and his was so reverent and beautiful and mystical and <laughs> mine comes in like a war raven that's about to destroy the world so i put it up on facebook and go war raven by karen lee white and the first thing is everybody loves the thing i was comparing it to mr zen's ra- raven this thing was just what it was and my you know i have this crazy cree friend <laughs> and he, his immediate thing was i want to get the tattoo can i tattoo this on myself oh, i'm like oh yeah fill your boots you know and then I started looking at it and going, okay, through other people's eyes, instead of judging it against this other guy's thing, his raven that we were working from. And I've got it hanging on my wall. So I, 
I hang every piece of art. There's only one that I haven't hung. And that one is, I just haven't gotten around to it. But like my mom used to put my stuff on the fridge, I put my stuff on the wall to encourage that little kid in me that was told that she sucked as an artist and that she wasn't good enough. And I, I put I mount and frame all my art and put it on the wall eventually, no matter what it is. And then I learned to love it. I learned to look at it and love it for what it is. For what it is. Oh, mm -hmm. that's awesome. How kind of you to do that, you know, for your little inner child. Seriously, that's incredible. I think celebrating the success of, you know, being receptive to a creation and allowing it to come through and be what it is and then, you know, frame it and put it on a wall. That's a metaphor for so much goodness, right? It is. And the thing is, too, it, it distracts her from trying to drive the bus all the time. She's always trying to drive the bus because she's like, you don't know how to take care of me. You hurt me. You allowed me to be hurt. She's pretty stubborn and, and real fiery. And so if I, you know, let her to enjoy the art on the wall, she gets so enamored with that, that she, for, she forgets all about wanting to drive the bus. And I get to say, hey, go play. You're a kid. Go play. Yeah. You didn't have a childhood. You go have fun. You go have fun. You don't have to drive the bus. You don't have to. And you're too little to drive a bus. You can't even see over the wheel. <laughs> you can't reach the pedals. So you are not qualified to drive the bus. I love you. And I get you. I get. I absolutely respect that you want to because you think I'm a drooling fool. <laughs> but you're too little to drive the bus. So you go off and play. You be a kid. You enjoy your life. And I will worry about all the yucky responsible stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll be the adult. I'll take I'll, I'll take care of the, the tough stuff, and you can yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm curious. You know, you're very connected to spirit and the next world. Um, what? How do you receive information? Oh man, there's messages? so many different. There's so many different ways. I used to see spirits a lot. Okay. Yeah. Like I'd wake up and they'd be sitting on my bed smiling at me. Or one night, I remember distinctly praying for all my friends. In the Yukon, people died young. It's just a super rough place. It's very dangerous for tons of reasons. Um, and so people would die. A lot of my friends died young. And in fact, the book, The Silence, that you're reading is mostly a love letter to those people who that I knew at the past. Some old, some elders, some young. Anyway, I prayed for them before I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and they were all standing at the foot of my bed, smiling at me. I was smiling back, going, oh, Gordy, Russell, hey. Oh, hey, Dan, you know. And then I suddenly, my mind kicked in and went, oh, dear God, they're dead. What am I doing seeing them? And as soon as the thought came, boom, they disappeared. So, you know, at first it, I would see them. I had physical contact. That sounds kind of freaky, but it, it's true. I had actual physical contact. Um, which was scary as heck when I was a teenager. Um, and then later, it, I became aware of like somebody standing next to me and speaking. And if I was silent enough, I could hear them. Not It kind of in my, you know how you say mind's eye, it's like my mind's ear. So you don't hear voices in your head. It's not like, um, I've literally heard, them speak there was one time that i ended up being in terrible danger and i heard a voice I woke i woke up with someone calling my name and it sounded like it was through water so i knew it was someone in the next world and i went oh i don't even know who that is but 
it was like a very urgent and then something happened later that was very I was in danger so I was being made aware and so sometimes it's uh, a, a literal hearing uh, sometimes it's sort of a, mo- mostly inside like it, an inner voice but it's definitely it's almost like a voice in your head it sounds kind of wacky but <clears throat> then sometimes they show me a video almost like they play a video right in front of my eyes sometimes it's a dream I have powerful dreams always have had um sometimes they talk to me in my dreams and I don't see anybody but there's this man's voice who comes and they give me wisdom I used to pray there was a point in my life where I was in a lot of pain psychic pain i guess or emotional pain and i just started praying to die and it wasn't like i was trying to kill myself i just said i'm tired and i want to cross over please let me come Mm. and after a while a couple of months of this this man came it's the usual man who always comes i don't know who he is one of my spirits that help and he came and said we understand why you're praying that way but you're not you need to stop and when i woke up i went oh my god okay never did it again Sometimes um, in certain circumstances, it's really easy to hear them, like at Sundance, because everybody there, they've prepared this huge space for prayer. They've they've prepared an enormous, beautiful ceremony. And it's really easy to hear in places like that. Dream, hear, see. So I've gotten some really powerful, um, had some really powerful experiences at Sundance, whether I was dancing on the arbor or whether the first year I was actually supporting, I had phenomenal things happened to me and things that were said to me that I um you know heard through the air or however you see it um there was stuff that I can't reveal because it has it's very sacred that I saw that was a physical reality of something a creature appeared on the arbor like I will share that often the chipmunks come and they dance and the groundhogs come and dance with the dancers and they're in the line with the men and they have their hands up the same time as the men and they put their hands down when the men do and they're there and they're dancing and they dance like that and they're physically there. So there's a lot of that type of thing that happens. I won't reveal what I saw the first year when I asked a certain spirit if he was there and he showed up and I knew it was him. So it can be so many different things. Uh, it's sometimes it's like a photograph. So if I'm doing s- some kind of healing work with people, whether it's counseling them or trying to get to the root of something physical, I will sometimes see a photograph, sometimes I get a sense, sometimes I just hear something being said over and over and over. Um, sometimes I'm told something that happened, you know, and I'll just say, I'm going to tell you something I'm hearing. You don't need to tell me anything about it. It's not my business. I just need to know if this is ringing true for you. And I'll just repeat what I'm hearing and people will inevitably say, oh my God, yeah. It makes perfect sense. And so, yeah, I hear it and see it and feel it a million different ways. Sometimes I just sense something. Sometimes I sense somebody's not doing okay and I just call them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it comes in a million different kind of ways. Interesting. Yeah, I would say my experience has been similar. Yeah, lots of really good stories there. Just, and, and, uh, a question around it. So, so you receive information. Sometimes it's for you. Sometimes it's for others. Is there any type of like cleansing process once that's occurred that you do for yourself or, or others? Like, or is it just it's just like like the wind or 
Yeah, it's like yeah. the wind. It's like the rain. I, I cleanse when I feel like I need to. Mm. So when I just start feeling a little bit too negative or a little bit overwhelmed or a little bit, just I know I'm very sensitive to when I'm a little off balance. Um, and that came with being on medical leave a couple of times from work where I really, um, I was going to say lapsed, such a bad word. I really focused on self-care and, and being very aware in the moment of what I needed at any given. And I sat outside, I lived by the water on, on the Selkirk waterway at the kind of end of the inlet. And I sat outside all day, every day. And I, even in the winter and my partner will rig up a, beautiful little fort for me so that I'm protected from the rain and I bundle up out there and I hang out there all day long. And if I'm at home, I work outside, but I'm outside all the time Uh, because I worked inside for years and years and years. And so my body's craving a lot of oxygen and a lot of being outside. And so that's what I give it. And I became hyper aware of ongoing self-care. So that might look like taking one hour to do whatever the heck I want. It might be connecting with somebody that I really love. If I'm overwhelmed, there's a couple of people I'll call and just like, I I can call my sister and say, I need you to pray for me right now. And she doesn't know any, she doesn't care about details. She'll just say, okay, you got it. And she'll pray. And then she's kind of miraculous that way where her prayers are so strong. If it's really bad, I'll put a message out to my Sundance family or my Moondance family and ask them to say prayers. Prayers are so poor, so powerful. Um, I pray for everybody. Everybody. <laughs> All the time. You know, if somebody's having a tough time, I just pray for them and I ask, you know, Creator and the grandmothers and grandfathers, just, you know, help them out. Take the obstacles out of their path. Just relieve them for one day. Give them some joy for one day. Just... Help them see some beauties. Just help them have a laugh. Help them anything kind of a thing. Uh, but but that ongoing awareness of when you need to take care of yourself, it could be, you know, drag yourself out to the bush. Go to Goldstream. I jumped in the river the other day and I took two people with and I said, we don't need to go at dawn. We can just go in there. It doesn't, you know, and it turned out there were a lot of people there, a lot of families. But when we need to say our prayers, they were on the other side of a huge rock and they didn't see us. And it was so cool. It was so cool that, you know, it's like your way is taken care of when you need it. Um, so being outside, praying with certain medicines that I've learned through Sundance, through the secret society that I'm a part of that are for us. And I share those a lot with people um, that I know are also of that, of that ilk, I guess you would say. Um, Sometimes I smudge. If I'm at work, I'll smudge a lot. We have tons of medicine at work, my friend and I. And so, you know, it's in her office. I'll just whip down there and smudge. She can always tell when I've been in her office when she isn't around because she'll come back and it'll, you know, be fragrant of sweet grass or sage or something. And um, I go by the water. There's a thousand different things. I just kind of know at any given moment what I need to do. Sometimes if I'm a mess, my partner, I just say, just hug me. Just hug me. Hug me for a really long time. And, and he's got that same ability as my mom. Hmm. You know, he's just beautiful that way where he can just make you come back to yourself. Come back to yourself. I love yeah, that. You know, there's, have you ever heard that expression? Sometimes you're set, you, they say, call your spirit back. I knew you were going to say that before you said it, because I was just about to tell you about a woman who I've met who just wrote a book by that name. 
what? Elaine Alec calling my spirit back. Wow. She's, oh yeah, you'll, you'll hear more about her very soon. Oh, I can't wait. Incredible, incredible person. Yeah. So and I know what you mean. For me, it's yeah. humor. With, with my partner, Adam, it, he'll get me with humor. He can make me laugh like the day we met. And He's such a sweet man. You are, oh man, you I are know so I'm blessed. blessed. I am so blessed. We're both I'm always really, happy when I really lucky. Him. I run into him through work sometimes, and I love that. Yay. I love that so much when I get to see him, and he always hugs me, and it's, it's just so incredibly sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm really glad I made the choices I made back when I was, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, when I yeah. met him. Very I blessed. think that was aligned. You know what? My late brother, um, JR from Bella Bella from my adopted family. Um, it was, um, the day before the one year anniversary of his passing and I had just started a new job and he, um, I brought the picture to work with me and my husband came over and he wasn't my husband. The stranger yeah. came over, my coworker came over and kind of peeked over my shoulder and he said, Oh, who's that? And I said, Oh, tomorrow's the um, anniversary of my adopted brother's passing. He, he died suddenly and I was always very connected to Jr. And he said, Oh, okay. And it sparked a conversation and I think that was him helping us meet. Like it sparked the conversation, which led to me all of a sudden being like, Hey, who's this guy? And then I asked oh. him out on a date and within You two asked weeks, him out. Oh, I asked him out. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. I asked him out and within two weeks I knew. I said, I bet you two hundred bucks we'll be together forever. Which is a weird bet because it's like <laughs> No, not at all. It's, it's That's not a kind weird of, bet. Uh, that's yeah. not a weird bet at all you know and you know what people don't realize is there's a ton of matchmaking that goes on in the next world i agree there's a ton of matchmaking whether it's you encounter the person you need to see in any given time who just is a perfect stranger who's going to say the perfect thing you need to hear who could be some like drunk homeless guy this has happened to me a thousand times where a homeless person has given me some brilliant wisdom Aww. and you know, uh, or, or just made me laugh or, um, or I've had that phenomenal encounter because homeless people specifically are very humble and they are very authentic. They got nothing to hide. And I love them for that. I love, I love anybody authentic. I don't care who you are. I don't care your circumstances, but the matchmaking is for, um, sort of like romantic matches. If you want to use that wording, it can be for uh, spiritual advice. It can be for a million different things. But there's, you know, my mother blew my mind. She was deaf. And I, I don't know if it was her deafness because she wasn't always deaf. She became deaf when I was mm, five or six. Um, and I don't know whether she was like this before. I have to ask one of my older siblings. But my mother lived in, what's the word? She was absolutely authentic, number one, which was unusual in that time frame in her generation. But she was also so in tune with the ether that she would do some really weird stuff. And we'd be like, what the heck is she doing? And whatever the heck that was saved our lives about you know six weeks later when she was off in Mexico. I wish I remembered what that was because there was an instance. But my mother would 
It was like she was in tune so much with the ether that she was listening. And I don't know if she was aware of it or whether she just did it. She was just going by instinct, sheer instinct all the time. Hmm. And it was like she was getting direct guidance that impacted so many people. And she was such a phenomenal mentor in that way that it, she was so fearless with it. Yeah. And I never did straight up ask her, are you aware that you're doing that or is it just what you're doing? <laughs> you know? And yeah, because and the feeling of it being kind of one in the same anyway. Like because she was very different yeah. from the rest of her family. Yeah. Very, very, very different. Exactly. And her portrait is hanging in your room and it's absolutely beautiful. And she was a stunner. Yeah. As are you, inside oh, and thank out. You. And well, I will I will link the guests to all of your work, your website, your your amazing music, which is available on Reverb Nation and Apple. Um, I was looking around today. I'm really looking forward to reading the rest of this book from a new lens from you know myself two years ago and myself now. Really changed in part due to meeting people like you. Um, thank you for being fearless. I truly believe that um, you know, leading by example is what really transforms others, you know, seeing, seeing that fearlessness demonstrated by other people, especially incredible, um, you know, mentors such as yourself at 64 and a half years old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's an inspiration. I'm, um, I could talk to you for hours, and will, um, just not always on a podcast, but I just am yeah, we so grateful for you sharing some of your life with us. And um, yeah, I just, I'm really excited for the guests to just glean the energy that is going to come through this conversation, which is a bigger thing than, than what we've actually talked about. Cause we are, we are all energy and um, yours is bright and wonderful and helpful and loving. And I just thank you so much for being in my life and, coming on the show today. Thanks so much, Karen. That's easy. To be in your life is so easy. Yay! I'm all right to be around sometimes. <laughs> and it's funny, as we were talking about, you know, um, meeting Adam, he was phoning. I had turned my ringer off, obviously, but he was, I'm going to tell him you're tapped in. We were talking about you right then. Oh, funny. Yeah. Funny. Anyway. And when I, when, you, when I hear you talk about fearlessness, that is how I would describe you. And I would describe you as being a catalyst for the transformation of others. So put that on your business card. <laughs> I will. I'm taking that one. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Oh, oh you're and, so welcome. And um, anything you'd like to leave guests with today? Just uh, find beauty everywhere you are because Creator has left so much beauty for us all around us. And no matter where we are, there's beauty. And no matter what is going on in our life, there's beauty. And everything is sacred, even the pain. Even the most terrible time is a very sacred thing because of the potential. And don't forget who you are and never let anyone take it from you. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, thank you to the listeners and we'll link all of uh, Karen's information into the show notes. Have a wonderful day. Once again, thank you for listening to the Connection Project podcast. If you wish to connect with myself or any of the guests, please leave a voice message on the podcast website 
at anchor.fm forward slash The Connection Project. Perhaps you'll hear yourself on an upcoming episode. To get in touch with me or to learn more about my work, please visit my website at emilyolsonpresents.com. The Connection Project podcast is edited and produced by Nick Gilchrist Audio Productions.